So if you haven't already, open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 13. We're going to be primarily in verses 4 to 7. This is a study on love. Let me just read verses 4 to 7. It says, love is patient, love is kind, and is not jealous, does not brag, and is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly, does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account wrong suffered, it does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. By now, you all know 15 verbal adjectives, verbs that describe how love is to be put into practice. And I said last week, we all want to have love in our life, but what the scripture is teaching us is how we must practice it, how we must put this into motion. <clears throat> We've been talking about this for several weeks and months, and I tell you this, you may tire of hearing about love, but you can never tire of doing love. Because you see when verses 4 to 7 describe love, all of those are present tense action verbs. Those are things that you need to be doing on an ongoing basis. We've done six messages in 1 Corinthians 13. This will be the sixth one. And we did one prior to getting into this on the doctrine of love, the depth of it. And it is an incredibly deep subject because it's so vast. And so what I want you to recognize is as we talk about love being a present tense, um, love being described with present tense verbs here, is that these are actions that you're supposed to do maybe on an ongoing basis, from a one-time basis, from big to small, something that you might do very significantly one time or something you just do small consistently over uh, one, one giant experience or whatever, however you look at it. These, ex these examples that when we talk about love are not either or. They, these are just, I'm going to do them maybe one time, I'm going to do them consistently. And it really made me start to think about how I can illustrate it. And I was thinking of how, you know, it's like sometimes you can talk about love being one big sacrifice, like a person lays down their life for another person, right? And the ultimate one is, you know, Jesus did that, right? He laid down his life. That's Romans chapter 5. And other times it can just be the fact of how you speak kindly every night in your home. And I hope that's something that you guys are thinking about. I came up with a bunch of illustrations, and I'll talk about this family here in a second. Because as I was contemplating this, um, a lot happened to me this week. I was on the phone. Remember, Many of you guys remember Mary Buck, who regularly attended our church? Mary, um, her father sadly passed away, I think it was like December 27th or something. And her and I were talking, and she was telling me about the fact that um, – she had gotten a lot of cards from people in our church. And we talk about agape love and doing something small, you thinking, I'm just sending out a card, and I'm going to write a note. Mary told me how our church so blessed her. So I want to thank all of you guys who did that. Ironically, Mary told me that at, I want to say, 11 o'clock last Sunday, she was sitting in the airport or in a plane on the John Wayne Airport. And those of you who know the news all know that Kobe Bryant left one hour before Mary did. And so Mary got the news while she was sitting in a plane that the plane had gone down and how it impacted everybody. And, and she told me her flight wasn't delayed, which was kind of interesting. We'll talk 
more about that. But then it made me start thinking about Kobe Bryant. Those of you who haven't heard, this major celebrity basketball player died this week, and a lot of things went out with an outpouring of love, and it was really gracious. But at the same time, I also saw a lot of ugliness this week. A lot of people wanted to bring up some of the evil things he did, and he did do some bad things. But the reality of it is, is love got violated when people talked about him in an inappropriate way. And there was one comedian that really was just vilified for the way he talked about um, Kobe Bryant when his family didn't need to hear that. And it just was a good reminder for all of us, you know, how we use our tongue, how we speak, our acts of love. And yeah, you know, somebody could be brought up and said, hey, you've done this guy did this or did that. But in a public forum, you know, you might want to mention it to somebody privately, but you don't want to do it in a public way. And that's what a few people did, and it really got ugly. And I would hope no Christians would have done anything like that. Our goal is to always be loving and kind and and to, to say the right words, um, even when you're dealing with something that's um, delicate, like some of the things that Kobe Bryant had done. Um, you just you wish that would never have been happening. And it got me thinking, and as I was looking up his case, I, I the, the incident, I came across this family. And I'm saying it right. I want to say the Shishan family. I don't know if anybody knows them. I, I thought, watch how this all flows together. Um, this was a family that flew this family right here. I think it's the father, Michael. And this is the mother. And this is this little girl here. They flew out of Detroit on August 16, 1987. And they were involved in one of the worst air disasters ever in America. So I'm looking at Kobe, and then all of a sudden I came across this. And like, how does this tie into love? Because I'm talking about great sacrifices with love. And what happened was this flight it was a Northwest flight out of Detroit. I don't know, Brian, if you, ever, if, ever, if you ever flew out of Detroit, out of there. But it was a flight in which um, 154 people on the plane died. There were 155 on the plane. Altogether, 156 died. Two people were on the ground. What makes this such an incredible story is that uh, this little girl, her name is Cecilia, they believe when the plane was going down, this mother did one of the greatest acts ever. You talk about great sacrifice. Her, the mom took herself out of the seat and laid down on the ground and put the baby on top of her. And that's the only reason this baby lived out of 156 people. An incredible story. Now, there's been people who have contested that, and I wanted to bring that up later on. They, they've contested whether that is accurate or not. But the truth of the matter is she was out of her seat the way um, they initially found her. And the man that initially found the baby in all the rubble, he was the one who felt pretty strongly that's exactly the way it happened. But it went around the world, the story did. Why? Because it resonated with so many people what a mother would do, what a parent would do for their child, right? And that's one of the things we all realize how much – when we talk about this agape love, if you're looking at your Bibles and it says love is patient, the word love there is a, a, a love of sacrifice, a love of doing what's best for someone else, to, even to your own detriment. And so this is a picture of Cecilia 10 years ago. They haven't done anything since, but she's, that was when she was like 22, 23 years old. 
and she's since gone to be married. It's a tattoo that she put on her wrist of the plane accident. Um, she was four years old when that occurred. Just amazing story, amazing act of sacrifice. And I wanted us to start challenging ourselves, thinking about, you know, well, that's the extreme. And I don't know if I'm always going to be put into that. But, you know, this action of love comes in all the small little things. And so I was talking to Annie this week. And I was talking to Grant gave me permission, Annie, is that, you know, I can't imagine. We've been waiting and waiting for this baby. And now we're a whole month gone, right? I know. Little Benjamin is one month today. All right. Doesn't how fast it goes. But one of the things Annie was telling me this week is how little sleep she's getting. <laughs> okay. Brand new mom, exhausted, just can't believe it. You know, it's a lot of sacrifice. But I don't even have to ask Annie. I asked Grant. There's just, would you trade your sleep for the baby? Not even a heartbeat. And, and, and that's the reality of what love does. It sacrifices and it does the, what's best for someone because we care for them. And, and God wants us to have this attitude with all the people we, work, we, we deal with. And the challenge becomes on a regular basis, is that the way we do it even for strangers? I wrote this down. Because I said, I wanted to make sure I got this clear. Every type of relationship you have has to be touched by love. From the stranger to the most intimate person. Obviously, the most person that are closest to you, it has to be through the grid of, am I patient, kind, not jealous, not bragging? Is it the way I think, the way I speak, the way I act? And how does it impact my omission? So I wrote, every type of relationship is touched by love. From families that stay together and enjoy one another, to friends, to neighbors, to co-workers, to strangers, to fellow citizens, to foreigners. The Good Samaritan par parable asks, who is my neighbor? The answer is everyone. Who are you going to love in small and big ways? Well, I feel like, okay, I recognize the big ones I'll do for my family, but I know that the small ones better be there for the stranger. The answer is everyone. Obviously, the more closest a person is to you, the more sacrifices you're going to make for them. And so what we want to do is we want to continue to reinforce this incredible reality as we go through this, that love is superior. And we have it on your sermon notes. It's superior in value to all other actions. Look at verses 1 to 3. You speak with tongues. You have this great ability to talk. But if you don't have love, it ends up you, you're nothing but a big, noisy symbol. There is no value to the words you say. You're a father, and you're espousing things. And, and you're trying to teach truth to your family, but you're just as mean ogre that, that the kids all have to deal with. Your words are empty. Same for a mom, same for a friend, same for a business associate. You look at verse 2. If I have the gift of prophecy, know all mysteries, know all knowledge, and I have faith as the room mountains, but I don't have love. I'm, I'm pushing my spiritual agenda. I just want to do my spiritual thing, and I want to pretend that I'm, I, I want to say that I'm religious, but I don't have love in the way I treat and deal with people. I'm, I'm a big Zero, okay? I am nothing. There's no value to what I do. I sacrifice like crazy. Verse 3, I give life. I give money. But if I do it without love, then it profits me nothing. So that's what the point was. Love is superior in value to all others. And then we talked about the description. There's no other description in the Bible that is like verses 4 to 7 how I've challenged you to memorize it and to get it down. And so what we, what we started to do was this. We started to go through the different words, and we took an entire sermon talking about love is patient, all right? 
And we went through this realm that we talked about an in-depth word study. We talked about the danger from not doing it positively, the danger from not doing it negatively. We talked about the aspects of how this is a trait of God seen in the Old Testament and New Testament. And then we talked about the fact that this is an aspect that you can find in Proverbs. And then we talked about how we're exhorted to do this in the New Testament. And I took an entire sermon to do that. And then we went into kindness. Kindness is doing good and positive actions to others. And we went through all of those categories, and we went through all of them. And there was so much material that it took two sermons. And it just wasn't being a windbag. I just want to, you know. The idea is that God has so much on this. One word, and I hope those of you who are here have thought about Malachi. Do I love kindness? And that this was a key attribute of God's. Then we went through last week the idea of love is not jealous, not acting out of a selfish, envious passion. And the reality of all those categories again, and thinking of how when you're a jealous person, it hides in the heart, but then it comes out in other Actions, it comes out in lies, it comes out in ways that you manipulate things and ways you maybe hurt someone. Well, I tell you, I recognize four sermons, I, I three words, I don't want to belabor it. I want you to realize you can do that with every one of these 15. We're gonna quickly go through six today, okay? But what you can do is to remember and do it on your own. An incredible, in-depth word study. You can find these words throughout Scripture related to God. I'll reference some of them. Know that each one of these I could have done an entire sermon on. So let's go. Here we go. Love is, take maybe the back of your notes. I put love notes there. You see the next description. Love is patient. Love is kind. Is not jealous. It does not brag. This is the idea of self-promotion that hurts others in many ways. The word, again, is a present tense. This is the only time this verb is used in Scripture. But there are other words for boasting and bragging that are used. I was over like 30 different times. And so the idea is, is repeated um, throughout the Scriptures. And so therefore, you see why I got my notes. Um, Paul's word for boast here comes from a Greek word that appears only here in the New Testament and infrequently in the rest of Hellenistic literature. The meaning seems to be bragging out without foundation, and they also encompass sinful acts that Paul elsewhere, elsewhere uses a different Greek word for. It's the idea of, of being one that praises yourself excessively, to boast about something by downgrading something else. And I think that's part of the problem that we've got to always remember when someone is called a braggart, both people, two people can give the same information. You can say, hey, um, do you have a car? And say, yeah, I've got a car. And someone says, well, he's bragging because he has a car. Well, you just asked me if I had a car. But if I, hey, do you have a car? And I go, well, yeah, I've got a Rolls Royce. You got to see my Rolls Royce. And I go on and on. That's the idea uh, of bragging that I think this is what it's getting to. The idea where you just want to promote self. But what is so wrong with that? You know, why is bragging something that is such a bad thing. Well, it calls attention to yourself more than you deserve. It makes you the center of attention over everybody else. You ever deal with somebody that's a, a person that just brags and brags and brags and brags and brags is, is that nobody else can get any point in. Nobody else gets talked about. People are left out. Um, 
also braggarts often falsely claim abilities that they don't have. They'll stretch the truth. And then it leads to other sins. I don't know if you've thought about this, but the idea when you think about the exhortation in 1 Corinthians chapter, I mean, 1 John chapter um, 2, do not love the world nor the things of the, of the world. For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and what? The boastful pride of life. And, and there's an idea that all of a sudden you start thinking that maybe you're better than God or you don't need God. You're, you would never say, I would never say that. But my goodness, where in the world did you get your, your abilities anyway? It, there's a humility that comes to everyone that's a believer that really recognizes I'm smart because God graciously give, gave me that. And I'm healthy because God graciously gave me that. And I don't know why God doesn't give everyone perfect health or perfect intelligence. And everyone can't be smart like me. Right? Uh-huh. Right? right? And it's right there. Like You say, well, let's go to the next one, the arrogance. But the idea when you promote self, you end up wanting the world to praise you more than to praise God. And so I truly think intent is a big thing on this. But we need to be people that recognize that bragging is not something that is, what is a, a harmless sin. It hurts people. It very much hurts people. And uh, when I was in college, um, there was, a, 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 <laughs> there was a, a person, my roommate dated this girl, and I won't say her first name because she ever listened to the podcast, but there was this girl, and you could count on her to always brag. You know, it was like this, the, the idea of, Whatever story you said, she topped it. Oh, I went skiing. I'd say, I, I went skiing. Oh, I've gone skiing five times. Oh, I, I, you know, I went to that restaurant. Well, I've been to there 10 times. You know, it's like, you know, you'd say, I was thinking one time, we would say like, something like, you know, I climbed Mount Everest once. And she'd say, well, wait till you do the second time like me. I mean, I don't know if you caught that one. But the idea is she always topped us. Well, the reality of it is, is you go, well, what's the detriment? Well, people didn't want to talk to her. People don't want to deal with her. If you think that you can brag and get away with it, then you don't realize what other people around you are saying, but how you're also making other people feel. Bragging is not good. It's interesting. It's almost one of the ones right at the top. You know, love isn't jealous, doesn't brag. And then we go into the next one. Arrogant. Arrogance is the idea of being puffed up. Self-idolization. Hurts many others, uh, hurts others in ways that is not to be done. So I, I tried to word these in ways so that we got the idea we're not to be doing this. The idea of being puffed up is a present tense word. It's the idea of the where you think the world revolves around you, and and you push your agenda. You think you're always right. Arrogant people will again dominate a conversation. Do you recognize, and this is where I thought, oh boy, you talk about doing an entire sermon on a subject. We could have gone back and you just jot this down. Isaiah chapter 14. The, when I say Isaiah 14, you should automatically think, oh, that's the passage about how Satan fell. Some people go, how did Satan fall? Well, we know that one thing that he did was he took those five I will statements that are in Isaiah 14. And again, for sake of time, we're not turning back there. But I, I, the idea is he arrogantly thought of himself worthy of God. He puffed himself up, and so much of sin, many people, when they write theological papers on what leads to sin, is this idea of arrogance, that you're in control, that you can cross lines when you want, because if, if, if things aren't done your way, 
then, then you feel totally justified. And anyone that's ever dealt with someone that says, you know, they're just arrogant. You, you just get that sense where the world is supposed to revolve around them, that, where they always feel right. They're always pushing their agenda. Um, they, they can walk out on their spouses because they feel like they deserve something better. Right? There's so much of where arrogance just crosses a line. And, and so arrogant people, I find, often won't put grunt work in. They, they, they won't work hard because something's beneath them. And it's something to be terrified in yourself. Um, I know, I, I, I know um, we all deal with this. We all struggle with this. And if anyone ever has called you arrogant, take it to heart. Think about it. It's a violation of love. You say, well, I'm loving, I'm kind. I try to do those positive things. Love is patient, love is kind. Well, if you're someone that's arrogant, you are hurting people, the people that are around you. So please don't be arrogant. Next one, love is not rude. An inappropriate and hurtful action, unseemly in nature, is not to be done. This one really hit me as I studied it many, many years ago. It begins, we're in verse 5. It says, love doesn't act unbecomingly. I like to write the word in my Bible or have it in the back of my mind that this is the word rude. The idea of rude is like it's inappropriate. You know, this is so important that we get this. Unseemly is a word that you may not use so much in our English language, but it's like inappropriate. It's not the right time. You know, you got some people who just say, I just say what comes to mind. I feel like I'm an open book and I need, I just need to say what I need to say. And, and I'll just, I, you know, I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll be like that bull in a china shop. And if I say it, I say it. If it hurts people, it hurts people. Well, that's just rude. You've got to understand. I think there's a lot of people who have boldly gone around the world and they think they've said what they wanted to say and, and, they're, and, and they come off the way they do without thinking it through of how appropriate it was for a situation. And they're going to stand before God, and God is going to say, you violated love. Now, if you haven't been with us, one of the podcasts we went into was just how so much of our judgment is going to be how we have acted in love in life. And how you act with your words is very important. And people who speak rudely you know, are going to find quite – God, you've been really upset, and I'm being judged for this? Absolutely. Let alone actions like you watch you know, brothers and sisters hit one another, right? That's part of what we try to you know, teach as parents. We don't want our kids to be rude. And so it was rude to hit your brother and sister. It was rude for you to lie. It was rude for you to take your, your brother's food. It was rude for you to borrow your, your mother's clothes without asking. It was rude to, to bring up that subject to him. There's so much all of this comes through. It's rude to say, hey, I think your dress looks ugly. Hey, I think your, your, your hair looks bad. It's rude to do these things. And really, as I start going through this, the list is absolutely unending, isn't it? We say, how could you do a sermon on one word, kindness? Because when you start going into the depths of all of these, you see how far reaching they are. Challenge yourself. You think, do I act appropriately? Because acting appropriately does matter. Acting with the right words, the right actions, and where, again, I come back into it, the idea of sins of omission. The idea of like where somebody you know um, that you know, someone in their family passes, and you don't say anything. Well, you didn't say anything 
negative. Maybe you didn't go on social media and say what a horrible person they are, but you also didn't come through and say something positive. Like, hey, I care for you. Hey, I'm thinking of you. Hey, I'm praying for you. Uh, or a thank you, or an appropriate level of thank you. Listen, all of these things come to play. What is appropriate? What is seemly? What is the right thing to do? Um, you know, um, you know, uh, a woman comes to a party. She, she, you have a nice event, and another man hits on um, this married woman. That's totally inappropriate, right? That's rude. So you can look at how far reaching this is. And I want you to challenge yourself and think about it, not always looking at what other people have done rudely, but what are you doing that's rude? Look at the next one. Okay. Love doesn't seek its own. I think this is one that a lot of people struggle with because it does not seek its own. Like, well, who was supposed to feed me today? I had to seek my own. This is the idea of an action where one's agenda is sought to the detriment of another. Is not. This isn't to be done. This is the idea where, where you have your agenda and you push it no matter what. Don't have any other consideration for other people. This is something where you put self over everyone. This is the father that has an agenda for his kid that says, look, I want you to follow in my footsteps and you, you're going to do exactly what I want because this is what I have as a career for you. You never listen to the kid and you force that career down on it. or even from a vacation standpoint or from a, from a you know, where are we going to go to dinner? And, and, and I know it sometimes you got to make some decisions and people aren't always going to be on board. But listen, the idea of having your own agenda, having your own program, having your own ideas and never listening. You can tell people, I listen to your idea and I reject it. That's far different sometimes. But I think this is going to be one of the more challenging ones come Judgment Day. Um, people that seek their own, people that put their own agenda above others. Look at If you look in your Bibles, this is one where – like acting arrogantly, you say, well, arrogantly, that sounds bad right there, then and there. But seeking, that's the main verb. That's not a problem. Something that you search for, something that you look at. But it's when it's coupled with the idea of seeking its own. That's when it gets to the idea of an agenda that's over and above someone else's. Then this one. This is road rage, people. This is where we're going to find ourselves. Oh, my goodness. I wasn't justified being so angry. Somebody provoked me because, look, love does not act out of provocation. Love is not provoked. And this isn't that, hey, you talk to two kids and you tell your two kids, hey, quit poking one another. This is when somebody pokes you that you want to poke back. Someone pushes you, you want to push back. You talk about having strength. This is, I think, one of the ones that takes the greatest strength because it deals with you actually being irritated. And this is where so many people feel like totally justified. I'm justified in what I said. I justified what I, why I did what I did. I'm justified, you know? And, and so I joke about road rage, but my goodness, you read the newspaper all the time and you read about people that shoot people up on the freeway and they run people off the road and it happens almost monthly. So you just read the paper, it's crazy. People act out of provocation. The Greek word here means to arouse to anger and 
um, deals with a, a convulsion or a sudden outburst of emotion or action. Love guards against being irritated, upset, or angered by things said or done. It is to be not provoked. One author said this, and I, I wanted to read this. He says, one of the main reasons for both mental and physical illness today is the overwhelming preoccupation with our rights and the consequent lovelessness. When everyone is fighting for his own rights, no one can really succeed or be happy. Everyone grabs, no one gives, and everyone loses, even when one gets what he wants. Lovelessness can never win in any meaningful or lasting way. It always costs more than it gains. We get angry when another person gains a privilege or recognition we want for ourselves because it is our right. But to put our rights before our duty and before loving concern for others comes from self-centeredness and lovelessness. The loving, per loveless, the loving person is more concerned about doing what he should and, and helping where he can than having what he thinks are his rights and his due. Love considers nothing its right and everything its obligation. Telling our wives or our husbands that we love them is not convincing if we continually get upset and angry at what they say and do. Telling our children that we love them is not convincing if we often yell at them for doing things that irritate us and interfere with our own plans. It does no good to protest. Oh, I lose my temper a lot, a person might say, but it's all over in a few minutes. Now, please listen to this, okay? So the person comes out and says, I lose my temper a lot, but it's all over in a few moments. And this is what this author says. So is a nuclear bomb. A great deal of damage can be done in a very short time. Temper is always destructive. And even small temper bombs can leave much hurt and damage, especially when they explode on a regular basis. Lovelessness is the cause of temper, and love is the only cure. Love that takes a person outside of himself and centers his attention on the well-being of others is the only cure for self-centeredness. And so, listen, people are going to provoke you all the time. I get that. But if you love them, somehow think about what's the right response. How can I respond? You try. You try. I'm trying to think of even in road rage. Because sometimes when somebody does something with road rage, somebody cuts you off, and you just want to kind of say, do you recognize what you did? That doesn't help either. <laughs> All right. Love doesn't take into account a wrong suffered. Why is this one special? You know what? This one always, for me, it was a struggle to really grip my, heart, grab my arms around. Because I like this because it's an accounting term. It comes from a Greek word that... Um, Logizomai, which I, it's a Greek. I know you don't get it, but it's a bookkeeping term that means to calculate or reckon, as when figuring an entry in a ledger. The purpose of the entry is to make a permanent record that be consulted whenever needed. In business, that practice is necessary, but in personal matters, it is not only necessary, but har not not only necessary, but harmful. Keeping track of things done against us is a sure way to unhappiness, our own and that of of those whom we keep. Record of logizomai, accounting term. I get it. For those of you who know, I'm a former CPA, accountant, whatever. I love counting. I love keeping records. And I get this, but it never really hit me until I just said simply, you know what this is all about? This is more about 
just forgiving. And, and I, I get it with the idea of record keeping. And being a person that forgives is one of the most challenging things that we have to do as Christians. It is because we have memories. And, and this is where one of the words I struggled with, should we have done an entire message on this one? Because you look at what makes us different than the world is that we're forgiven by Jesus Christ. And that video that we showed was so wonderful because when we really recognized we violated and we hurt God and we did some horrific things to him, but he forgave us. And now we're to go out and forgive others in a way that brings reconciliation. It's pretty profound, except until when some, all of a sudden somebody does something to you. And, and then you come and you try to justify, well, you don't know what they did. Well, the reality is, and you just jot this down, this Matthew 18, where the passage with the guy that is get, forgiven 10,000 talents by the king, and the king represents God, and then he has to forgive somebody that owes him something like 300 talents, which is like two-thirds of a year's wage, like it's nothing. The 10,000 talents are like trillions, an incalculable amount of debt. That's what we've been forgiven by God, and yet when somebody offends us, and somebody can hurt you really bad. I'm not ever saying they can, but the reality of it is is God challenges us to be forgiving people. And for the sake of time, I'm not going to have you turn there, but you turn there. With the person in Matthew 18 that doesn't forgive is turned over to who? The torturers. I tell you, you see I have now lived long enough that I have seen many people that have lived with the act of unforgiveness, and I think it drives them nuts. You show me somebody that is dealing with a lot of mental health issues. You deal with somebody that is bitter and angry. They are typically people who can't forgive. And... The challenge in Matthew 18 is like, is that a person a believer or not a believer? All I know is you got no, you can't forgive. You've got little peace. Show me someone with little peace. I'll show you somebody. Typically, the root of bitterness has creeped into their life, and they're an unforgiving person. And you say, well, you don't know what they did. You don't know what they said. You don't know how they stabbed me in the back. Right. And there's a reality on some of these things. You may not, you can forgive them. You may not have to deal with them, but in your heart, at least forgive them because if you don't, it'll destroy you. It'll destroy you. That's what it means to take this word or that this expression, love doesn't take into account wrong suffered, and they boil it down and just say, love forgives. And I pray that you challenge yourself, that you are a forgiving person. So, <laughs> we're almost through. We'll, we'll do two more next week after the after the uh, two or at least two next week, and then we'll do the four on Communion Sunday. Um, but I don't know when you'll ever have a big sacrifice, but I know every day is filled with tons of small little ones. You may never fall out of an airplane or fall down in an airplane and have to save somebody, but I know that for parents – Every day, you got to love your kids. And so, Annie, I think you should – well, Annie's gone, okay. But, Grant, what you do is you remember this – get this podcast. And when that child is 18 and says, you don't love me, 
Every parent laughs at that, right? When a child says, you don't love me. Well, the reality is that we've sacrificed so much, and every parent needs to be on that path. But this is more than just the parental love. It's the friendship love. It's the marital love. It's all love. It touches every aspect and every relationship. No matter who crosses your path, challenge yourself. Am I being patient, kind, not jealous, not bragging, not arrogant, not being rude, not seeking my own, not acting out of provocation, and then a forgiving person? We'll get to the other ones, but this is a challenge. Just jot down 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, where God tells every believer that we're taught to love. If you're someone that's struggling with love, maybe it's because God is a, you're, you're, you're squelching God. Challenge God to say, God, work on my heart. Help me to be somebody that loves the way you want me to be. And I know he'll answer that. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you, thank you, thank you that love is so important to you. That God is love. And in, uh, that because God loved, now we can love. And I thank you, God, for the reminder, even this morning, of how sinful we can all be. The extreme is nobody thought a Holocaust could ever occur, but it did. The extreme is the murder and killing, even in this country, of all the babies that have been killed with abortion. But God... You are a gracious God, and you've given salvation to us who believe in Jesus, and now we seek. Help us all to recognize from the extreme to just the kind word, the kind interaction that we do with one individual, how important it is to be one who sacrifices and does the very best for other people. Help us to have love explode in our church, explode in our families, explode in our work relationships, because we now get how this verb is to be applied in all these areas of our life. And Lord, if there's someone who's looking at their life and saying, I just don't see myself loving that way. You don't understand the bitterness I have. You don't understand the unforgiveness I have. You don't understand my justification for not liking somebody. I pray, God, that then they, the finger turns back at them and they realize how much they've offended God and that they come to a point where they need to repent and turn and get forgiveness because they are now, at this point in life, an enemy of you. And nobody needs to be that when they can have Jesus as their Savior and be turned into a friend of God. In Christ's name, amen.